Hi, it's 3.52 a.m. over here. I can't believe that you're up at this time of the morning. <laughs> Guys, I got, it was like not even 11 o'clock in the morning, my time. I was just trying to make myself look busy in my kitchen. And I got a, t- a text from Tiffany saying, I can't sleep. Do you want to? Do you want to record? <laughs> so she was having a midnight snack. I was having some elevenses, and I was like, "Why not?" So, so here we are, completely unscheduled. All my Station Nineteen gear that I normally wear is in the wash, so I'm just in like a random surf t-shirt. Tiffany is in her nightgown. <laughs> I'm like selling you out that you're in your. I'm in my nightgown. I am. It's okay. But what a lovely surprise. Yeah. We just, I mean, they don't, they're not privy to our our pre-recording chats. Um, And we just had a great pre-recording chat. I feel, I feel it was like a free counseling session. (laughs) (laughs) We put the world to rights, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So um, that's the, that's one of the fun thing guys about, about these recording sessions is we always get to just chat for a little bit before which is is nice i always i always look forward to those chats me too we don't have enough of them no we don't we'll have to get back get get back to the normally scheduled program after life goes crazy the way that it did yeah how are you anyway apart from probably tired i would have thought i do feel tired um but other than that i feel okay i feel i feel great actually like we just had a great conversation yeah good good I am still on a high from yesterday's World Cup semifinals. Oh, I believe it. Congratulations to the Lionesses, everybody. Thanks, mate. I, pl- I swear I kicked every ball with them. Yeah. We were um, watching, we've got like a, a setup in our back garden, which I can't wait for you to come over and experience. Yeah. But because it was a really nice day yesterday, we sat in the garden and watched it and I was literally pacing around our garden Julia kept saying for god's sake will you sit down and in the end the puppy came and sat on me and that was the only way to keep me in my chair but this world cup has been awesome and I'm so excited for the final and I'm really sorry that I felt I had to bring that up but I literally am still on a high that's this is the first final we've been in since 1966 and that was obviously the men because women were still banned by the FA from playing football in 1966 so. No, it's it's. I mean, obviously, I was bummed that that the Deutsches got kicked out so early. Um, yeah, I think it's the first time ever they've lost in a group stage. Yeah, the Germans usually dominate in mm-hmm. in football. They do, and um, and it was it was rough to see. And the men's did poorly last time. I swear, it's, it happened after the coaches switched. We we lost we lost Joachim Le, um, and then Yogi. we had a World Cup shortly after. Yeah, Yogi Love, they, they like to call him. Yeah. Um, and then we lost Sylvia Knight, who was a phenomenal coach for the women's team. Um, sorry, listeners, you're getting a little bit of foosball <laughs> history here. MVT is great, though, I have to say. Yeah, I know, but I'm living vicariously through. Do we know who the Lionesses are playing yet for the final? Spain. Sp- ooh, Spain can be tough. Spain is going to be, it's going to be very tough. It's going to be a really tough match. They play a lot of heavy possession-based football. They play in a very sort of neat, controlled way. And then they've got some really dangerous people up front. I understand like the Bomati thing. Bomati is obviously great. And then obviously Alexia 
has been the best footballer in the world for years. I get it. But I'm actually scared of Redondo. I think Redondo has been the standout player for them, for me anyway. And then they've got Salma, yeah. this young kid who could have been a 400-meter specialist and then switched to footy at the last minute. She's dangerous if they bring her on as yeah. a super sub. So I think the two best team. I'm probably being quite generous to the Lionesses because we've had some scrappy games, but um, I do think the two best teams have made it to the made it to the final. It's going to be a tough one. I'm excited for Sunday. Who did Spain have to beat to get to the final? Sweden. Sweden. Okay, Sweden is yeah. always tough too. Yeah, and yeah. the Swedes are such big, strong, powerful players, and they just seem to dwarf the mm-hmm. Spanish team, who are just you know smaller yeah. in every dimension. Um, but it just goes right. to show that, you know, physicality, although it is a massive part of the game, it, if you've got great control and you take the chances that you're given when you get the ball into, you know, the final third, you know, that's what counts. That's what counts. So it's definitely going to be a, yeah. a tough match. But I'm crediting the mug that you gave me as the lucky charm. Ah, okay. So, I'm keeping it in the cupboard until Sunday because I don't want its magical powers to <laughs> to wear off. <laughs> this is it's so ridiculous, but like you get so superstitious with things, right? And like Julia's been doing this eating our way through the World Cup thing. Yeah, that's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah, because we're both foodies. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at the matches that have been on. And obviously it was easier at the beginning of the tournament when there were like four matches on. So you had eight countries to choose from. We've been looking at the matches that are on every day and then we've been choosing to try usually something new that we haven't tried from that country. And Julia's been cooking that every day. Yeah. And then sometimes we go to like our comfort food. So like Kurt and like we had homemade burgers when the USA were playing. Yeah. But... So we obviously decide beforehand what we're going to eat so that we make sure we've got the shopping in. If anything has to be prepared beforehand, you know, we can Mm -hmm. do it. So because we'd eaten Swedish food quite recently, because we'd had the the Kerbala, when Spain played Sweden, we decided we were going to have Spanish food. And so then Julia said, okay, so what are we going to eat on Wednesday? And I said, right, we're not deciding this now. I said, we we can have an option for Australian food and we can have an option for English food, but I am not deciding which one we are eating until we see whether Spain (laughs) wins Uh or not. If Spain wins, then we're going to eat English food. So it will follow that when we decide to eat English food, England wins. If Spain loses on the day that we've decided to have Spanish food, then we're having Australian food so that Australia loses. And <laughs> so Julia's like, this is the most superstitious thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. I'm like, hey, we're sticking with it. What are you having for the final? Oh, uh, well, because I think kickoff's at 11 a.m., but uh, all the preamble and stuff will start at 10. And so to give England the biggest boost we can, we're going to have a full English breakfast. Okay. And I'm going to have a pint of tea in my mug that you sent me. <laughs> had a massive pint of tea out of that yesterday morning. And the lioness is obviously one three one. So I'm going to have to keep everything the same. So I'm going to have to have a big mug of tea <laughs> out of that mug. So I'm, I'm saving all its magical powers <laughs> for Sunday. Obviously, that's going to be the, the difference. It's going to have nothing to do with the 22 women on the pitch and those that come off the bench. It's clearly what I right. eat for breakfast and which mug I drink out of. Yeah, which mug you drink out of, for sure. 
I, I have that same um, thing with my, so American football, right? Um, I'm a huge fan of American football yeah. and my, it's college football that I, I really like. And whenever my mom watches the game with me, my team wins. If she's, if she's not in the room, they lose. And so whenever we play, I'm like, you need to be in that seat and do not move. Until the game is over, because if you do, we're going to lose. So I have the same stuff. Oh, my stuff. God. You don't have to watch the game. Uh, Feel no. free to have, like, earphones in and watch yeah. Netflix on your phone or something. Yeah. Just don't get out of the chair, right? Yeah, yeah, like, you can have your iPad and play your games like that you like to play. I don't care. But you have you have to be in the room. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. We were going to record on Sunday, so I thought it was either going to be I was either going to be really hyper or really dour. So actually, you've done yeah. some massive this is, favor. Yeah, by, this is better by bringing it forward till today, so I can be reasonably sensible. Reasonably sensible for sure. Oh well, after all that um, footy chat, shall we talk about Station Nineteen? Yeah, let's talk about why we're here. Actually, we could have done with all the footy chat when we did the last episode because neither of us were mad keen on that one, were we? Yeah, yeah, we yeah that would have helped make it as people noticed I was zoned out on that one completely you're like talking I'm like Travis you're like Warren (laughs) yeah yeah. I'm like oh Warren yeah and I was speaking at a mile a minute as well because I was just trying to get through it but this one was marginally better it was what was this one called this one's called let it burn let it burn okay episode 107 and it aired on the 26th of April, 2018. This one was written by Barbara Kay Friend. And this was the only episode she wrote in season one, but she wrote season two, episode nine and 216. And she was the story editor for season two, episodes 13 to 17. Okay. So she's got a little bit of a pedigree. Yeah. We, we don't see her after season two, but for the first couple of seasons, she was involved. Okay. And it was directed by James Hanlon. And this was his only episode of Station 19. But his previous project, also in 2018, was Chicago Fire. Oh, okay. So he did two, two fire shows back to back. Okay. So that's my only tidbit about the writer and director on this one. Not, not too much to say. Yeah, not much there for them. No. But we had a cold open in a dodgy chain restaurant in this one. Uh, someone, one of the members of staff, dumps a match from lighting a birthday cake candle in the bin whilst it's still smoking. And as we know, the cold opens always relate to the incidents. So while we're there, should we jump into the incident, do the incident first? Oh, sure. Why not? Why not indeed? (laughs) Oh, you look so cozy. Tiffany's pulling a blanket over herself. You look so cozy. It feels chilly in here for some reason. I don't know why but it does i don't know why i should be over this by now but it's midday here and the sun's out and it's like a sweat box in my kitchen and it still amazes me that we are talking to each other and where you are it's pitch black and chilly and where i am it's literally the middle of the day and warm i should be over this i saw a news article that said um that the UK was going to be hotter than California coming up. And in California, it's been upper 90s every day. And I thought, wow, Melissa's going to be hot. 
Yeah, we're allegedly going to get a heat wave. Yeah, I read about it and I um, thought of you. This month. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Luckily, we've got AC. Yeah, so seriously. We'll be all right. But I like the heat. I actually really like it. I'm like a, a I, little sun seeker. Yeah. My, my skin can't cope with it because I'm pale as can be, but I actually love the heat. So I'll be, I'll be out there covered in factor 50. <laughs> Um, right. Sorry. Talking of heat. Yeah. Got us going. No, please. Got us going on a tangent. We're reeling it back in. We're reeling it back in, reeling it back in. No, but I, I love it. I love our chats. It just shows though, I think for people listening in that we are friends. Yeah. Like we're not just talking about the show and being like, okay, bye. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> you get a little insight into what it's like before we hit the record button. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. So where were we? The incident, that's what we were doing. So pre-incident, we've got Ryan turning up at 19 and he brings his fellow officer, someone called Officer Rice. And they have come to talk about doing one of their regular joint training drills, you know, like the regular stakeouts they do all the time that we've never seen before and have not seen since. And and we never see again. (laughs) Yeah, one of those. Forgotten storylines, anyone? Um, it's another loss. Yeah. Yep. Another lost storyline. <laughs> so Ryan and Jack are spiky with each other right away, and Officer Rice is completely oblivious to this. Uh, Ryan knows that it should be Andy's shift as captain, uh, and Jack says that he hopes Ryan is just as on the ball when it comes to the drill as he is with Andy's schedule. And then Rice says that Ryan absolutely will be because he's a real boy scout. But in a good way. And she didn't mean to undermine his authority by calling him a boy. (laughs) I quite enjoyed her. I thought she was really well written. She was funny. Yeah, she was. I liked her too. And it was just really effortless comic relief. It wasn't like very obvious. It was just, and she was a great actor as well. Yeah. I really liked her. Jack tries to withhold the reason that Andy isn't at 19 that day. And then Dean steps in and tells Ryan about Pruitt. And then Ryan is surprised to hear about Pruitt because Andy hadn't mentioned anything about that when he saw her two nights ago. So then Jack becomes visibly upset to hear that Ryan and Andy are spending time together. So Jack has put together the plan for the drill and Ryan says straight away that it's no good and they start arguing, but we're not privy to what they're saying because Rice pulls Dean aside and says that she's on track to make detective. And as such, she's able to pick up on their vibe. And she suggests that maybe Ryan has stolen Jack's lunch or his car, because he used to do that. So Jack and Ryan continue to fight whilst Dean and Rice look on in dismay. And we hear that they've been going at it for 25 minutes. Yeah, Little things like this, I think, just made it a step up from last week's episode. Just these little touches, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the call comes in over the tannoy that they need to attend the strip mall fire. So Dean and Rice think they've been saved by the bell. And she suggests that they finish up going over the plans over email, which seems like a solid idea to me. Uh, But then she and Ryan get the same call over their radios. So they're going to end up attending the rescue with 19. So when we get there, the fire is huge. And because it was the dinner rush at the restaurant, there are tons of people there. So Ryan joins in with rescuing the patrons from the burning building. 
but Jack yells at him that he hasn't got a mask or turnout. And he says, well, neither do the people inside. And then he runs back in. So it's down to Jack to pull him aside. And he shows him that there's black smoke coming from the building, which means that it's toxic. And he says that the, the fire's gone too far to be able to salvage the building. So all Ryan can do to be useful now is move the perimeter back because the building's on the verge of collapse. So we see Chief Ripley again. He turns up and I thought it appeared to me that he had turned up with the hope of seeing Andy in action. Yeah. Is that how you read the situation as well? Yeah, because I didn't think he wrote Andy off the way that Frankel, I was going to say Fickle. <laughs> it's four o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> the way that Frankel <laughs> wrote wrote her off, I think Ripley was giving her a little bit more grace, I sensed. Um, yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. So obviously we know Andy has chosen to be with her dad. So he gets to see Jack in action again. And there's someone on an upper floor with a baby in her arms that they need to rescue. And uh, it turns out that the stairs are too far gone for them to use the stairs as an option. So the only thing they can do is get a ladder up as close as they can to the balcony that this woman's on and try and get her down that way. But Dean pleads with Jack not to do it because the truck is too far away for them to get the ladder to the necessary distance and they can't get the truck any closer because of all the crowds of people there so the whole thing is unsafe but jack goes cowboy again as we know jack is wont to do in these early episodes and says he's going up anyway so the ladder is grinding up to the balcony at a frustratingly slow speed so then ryan goes into cowboy mode as well he gets dangerously close to the balcony and rice says that he's making the face that means he's about to do something stupid and she's not wrong because he convinces the mother to throw the baby down to him so that she can jump onto the ladder hands free and have the best chance of saving them both now jack is either equally smart or equally stupid because he chips in and tells the mother that his friend ryan suddenly is his friend ryan his friend Ryan's plan is the only way to save them both. So the mother launches her baby off the balcony and then launches herself off the roof and they both land in the respective safe hands of Ryan and Jack with Ripley watching on. Then Jack and Ryan kiss and make up or at least shake hands and admire each other professionally, if nothing else. Did I hit the main points? Yeah, I, um, I have to be honest, you know, going from... Last week, which was painakingly difficult, um, to, to this week, I actually teared up during this the scene with the the mom, and I don't know if it's because I have a, a young child. You know, I have a, a five and two year old. Um, picturing, I was picturing myself up there, right, and what I have been able to throw. Yeah, one of my kids over that balcony. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. And I actually did catch myself tearing up during that scene because it, it made me, as a mother, relate to it, which was a far cry from last week. So even though the incident wasn't the best incident, it still tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'd actually written down to ask you whether you would have thrown your baby off the balcony. Would you have thrown one of your kids off the balcony? Do you think you'd be able to do that? Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know if I if I could trust the person down there to catch my kid. You know, if they would have had like, you know, we've seen in previous episodes where they have the big the big um landing pads um yeah. that the firefighters fall in when they jump out the window. Like the blow up crash mat things, yeah. Yeah, if there would have been one of those for sure. Um, or like a blanket stretched yeah, out. Yeah, something, right? But but also, it's a tiny baby, and they don't have control of their limbs or their necks. So I guess there's the the peril of if you're relying on a crash pad or something to catch the baby. The baby, like, I don't know. That sounds that sounds equally as dangerous because they don't really have control over their limbs and stuff. Ryan could have at least been standing or sitting on one you know um yeah yeah as a because because i have throwing a two-year-old is a lot different than throwing i mean that baby looked like he was maybe 10 months or a, a year old maybe um so that's that's different than throwing a 30 pound two-year-old over a balcony you know that that's rough so <laughs> i don't know if i could have done that because my my two-year-old's a little chunky big yeah. guy you know he's he's not small so, like, are you really going to catch this bowling ball I'm throwing over the balcony? Well, the thing is, I think I would have had some questions before I tossed my baby over. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I have some questions. So, I mean, we were talking about, like, American football earlier. I mean, I think I would have said to Ryan, did you play football in school? What was your position? I mean, I might trust him if he was, like, a wide receiver, <laughs> but if he was, like, just the kicker, Oh, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Or even worse, yeah. it could have just been like a cheerleader, right? Then I'm like right. less likely to throw my well, child over the balcony than if he's like, yeah, no worries. I was a star wide receiver for my team. I'm like, oh, I have the kid. I just lob it right over. I, I will say the male cheerleaders here, they toss the women cheerleaders up in the air and catch them. So I maybe would have trusted that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Josh, if there was a, if there was a fire... And you had to throw our kid over a balcony to save them. Would you be able to do it if, if somebody said they were going to catch him? So that's the difference between men and women. Josh said he could throw our kid over a balcony. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh didn't have any questions. Oh, He's not funny. worried if it's like a wide receiver or the kicker, right? He's just like, yeah, no, I'm just going to do it. Crack on. Yeah, he had no he had no questions. He literally was like, if that's the only way to save him, yeah, why not? And I'm like <laughs> No qualms. Like wait a minute. <laughs> oh man. It must be so nice just to be able to make decisions yeah. like that. Just snap decisions, like, yep, no bother. That's one that's one way Josh Josh oh. and I are good together is he's we balance each other out in the sense that he has like zero anxiety, like he worries about nothing. And when I'm worried, he's like, okay, let's look at this rationally. <laughs> like he's the rational one and I'm not. <laughs> oh, to live like that. Can you imagine? Oh, can you the Im luxury. Yeah, can you imagine? Oh, man. Oh, well, we've established that this woman was a brave soul then to throw her child over to Ryan, no questions asked. So you were quite in it and you had a tear and maybe I wasn't that emotional because I don't have children. I maybe if I'd have put myself in that place with like my dog, maybe I could have shed a tear. But um for me it just fell a little bit flat. It was like a massive fire, right? And am I right in saying that back then they didn't use 
CGI fire. They used real fire. That's how, what I understand, yeah. Yeah. So this would have been a massive production. It would have been really expensive. It would have been really time-consuming to set this up. And I just feel like they could have made more of it. It seemed really brief. And, yeah, and I wasn't that excited. But maybe it was because no one from 19 was ever in trouble. Like with previous incidents, we've had close calls with the people in 19, like the roof nearly going in when they had Warren watching the pipes so that they could have been killed. And then I think it was in the same incident, Dean was doing a top floor rescue and and he got out seconds before the ceiling collapsed. And so I think when 19 are in jeopardy, I think that's when I get excited and feel a little bit invested in it. But um, I think maybe because there was never any jeopardy for Jack or Ryan and they didn't really focus on anyone else. I just didn't get into it, but maybe that was just me. Yeah, I was just going to say we we didn't even – no, we didn't even really see any of the other – cast doing anything during the the incident it just focused on jack we saw dean a little bit and that was it like we didn't see if i remember correctly we didn't see maya doing anything we didn't see vic doing anything we didn't you know i mean ben was with andy but we didn't really see much going on other than that yeah no no so it just didn't really do it for me but i think it went a long way to building up for us, like in our minds, like trying to lead the audience down the path of Jack is first in line for the captaincy because Ripley gets to see him in action again. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that that's what they're trying to do as well, if they're trying to steer us in that direction. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I wanted to ask your opinion of uh, on is, do you think Jack deliberately withheld Pruitt's condition from Ryan to stop Ryan from swooping in and helping Andy because do you remember Jack got the ump before because it was during the blue fire incident they were all obviously out with the blue fire and Ryan went and picked Pruitt up from hospital and brought him to 19 and Jack got the ump because Ryan had brought Pruitt home so do you think that Jack has kind of tried to withhold it from Ryan so that Ryan can't white knight it and go to the hospital and check in on everybody or do you think he's doing it to protect Pruitt's privacy which do you think it is or do you think it's a bit of both I don't think it's to protect Pruitt's privacy um I think Jack is is more calculated than that when it comes to Andy um especially in these early early episodes um and we'll see in in a couple episodes coming up um just how Jack feels about Ryan. Um, and so I do think we, we're still in that deep jealousy phase right now. And so I, I think it's driven by jealousy. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. But I didn't know if I wasn't giving him enough credit. But you agree yeah. that it's, he's deliberately withholding information about Andy to get one over on Ryan, a bit of one-upmanship. I, I do, because if it was about protecting Pruitt's privacy, they talk about it amongst themselves quite a bit in the station. And I think that that wouldn't happen. Yes. Um, and so it's, yeah, I think it's definitely jealousy for sure. So he's still not over Andy? 
Well, can you blame him? That was a train wreck. Poor guy. Yeah. Bless him. Hopefully he'll come around to seeing that she did not treat him in an honourable way and that will help him to get over her. Yeah. Poor dude. So was there anything else that you wanted to say about that situation, either the rescue or stuff between Ryan and Jack, or have we covered it all off? No, I think that was pretty much the incident. Coolio. So the next thing I've got on my list is the Ben and Bailey stuff. There wasn't much, but there was a little bit of Ben and Bailey stuff. So Bailey hears from Pruitt that there have been some big calls lately, one of which, the Marshall incident, affected Ben really badly. So she finds out this from Pruitt, therefore finding out that Ben has been keeping things from her. And then when Warren goes home to Bailey, she tells him that he smells like a chimney and he says that the last call the reason he smells like a chimney was no big deal. So she calls him on that and tells him that Pruitt's told her that he's had some near misses lately that he's been keeping from her and says that he's lucky that he has someone to unload on in her and that she wants him to do that. She wants him to unload and keeping things from each other isn't who they are. And he tells her that because he was at the hospital with Andy for the bulk of that call, he missed out on most of the fire and he was there just literally on cleanup duty. But he admits that he has been keeping things from her, just not this particular incident, and that he won't do so in the future. Um, I mean, I don't have much to say about that other than I think that the partners and spouses of firefighters are a whole different breed of brave <laughs> And that everyone needs a Miranda Bailey in their life. Um, I do think it's nice when we see things from the partner's perspective. Because I can't imagine sending Julia out there every day. Wondering if she's going to come to serious harm or not come home. So I think it's great to see that perspective. And I think it's really great for Ben that he's got someone like Miranda who is brave enough to say, let me hear it. Let me hear everything, good, bad, and ugly. Let me hear it because it's no good to you keeping it all inside. Yeah, I I, for, I love Miranda Bailey. I love that character so much. And I'm, I love that they oh, brought gotcha. her on to Station 19 so we can, you know, see her because I don't watch Grey's. Um, and so I love, I love seeing, I love those scenes. I don't have much to say about this scene I think it was pretty straightforward. You know, there's not much to talk about. No. My my favorite scene with Ben and Bailey was um, in the beginning of the episode. Yes. When um, when she drops him off at work. That I have more to say about that one than, than this one. Yeah, I've done that under the Pruitt bit. Yeah, yeah. So I'll look forward to hearing your perspective when we get down to that bit. I just thought I'd do like the little bits, for, like the bitty bits first and then mm-hmm. the meteor stuff at the end. Yeah. Um, so Travis, I thought was like a bitty bit as well. So he has taken Vic to yoga, presumably in an effort to help her with her fear of fire. And they bump into Grant, the handsome grandson of Edith, 
And Grant asks if they can exchange numbers and gives Travis his business card. But Vic seems more excited about it than Travis. Then Travis gets called to the nursing home where Edith is because she's called for an aid car due to having trouble breathing. But she miraculously feels much, much better when Travis turns up shortly followed by Grant, who she's also called. And she says to Travis that she knows that they bumped into each other at yoga and calls Travis out for not being particularly excited that Grant's given him his phone number. And then she shows off about Grant saying that he's a chef, when in fact it turns out that he's a line cook. <laughs> By the way, why do line cooks have business cards? Since when was that a thing? <laughs> anyway, it's convenient, I suppose. Yeah. I thought he had the business card for his yoga class. Oh, was he instructing yoga? I think I thought I thought, I thought he was. Yep. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I assumed. Oh, okay, that would make more sense. He said, oh, my class is starting now, so I've got to go kind of thing. But I thought it was. Yes, I guess I just assumed he was teaching it. Yeah. And I assumed he was attending it. So maybe. See the the difference? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe they need to make this stuff clearer. They do, because I don't know. No. So I was confused as to why he had a business card as a line cook, but that would make more sense if he was a yoga instructor. (laughs) Anyway. Edith tells Travis that she knows a good match when she sees one. So Travis caves and agrees to have breakfast with Grant and says he'll be in touch. But he isn't in touch. He doesn't reach out like he said he would. So Grant ends up just turning up at 19 for breakfast because he thought they'd made tentative plans and he he didn't want to be the guy that doesn't turn up for them. And Travis then blows him off and says he can't do breakfast and then breaks into a big speech about how he could die at any minute and leave Grant heartbroken. But then Grant offers an alternative version of the future, saying that in Travis's version, he's already got them married off and Grant widowed, but he had just turned up to 19 for breakfast and then he would maybe take Travis to dinner. That's only if breakfast goes well. So a far calmer, and more rational approach to life. Um, Travis agrees to have breakfast and Vic is pretending very badly to be cleaning the truck whilst listening into their conversation the whole time. Did I miss anything? No, and this episode, because you always ask me this question, so I'm going to answer it before you do. <laughs> I really started to appreciate um, Vic more. Yeah. She she starts to be more of the goofy Vic yes. that we're used to, right? Yeah. Like like when, when, um, when Travis walks away from Grant and he's like, well, obviously it'll never work. She's like, well, obviously, you know, I just really appreciated her little funny tidbits that she does. So we're getting more into the Vic that I, I appreciate. Yeah. She's sort of growing into her character more and she's less than, I think she's becoming more well-rounded, isn't she? And less of just this like snarky, grumpy, badass. Yeah. I quite liked Grant and Travis both have a little bit of a monologue at the end. And I quite liked both of them. I thought they were quite well written. They weren't overdone. I thought they were paced really nicely. They weren't melodramatic or anything. My dogs are likely to bark because someone's about to put something through the letterbox. (gasps) We got away with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I like Grant. He says in his little speech that he's a straightforward guy. And I think that he seems to be. Yeah, I um I liked Grant a lot too and I feel like they they ended that a little bit quicker than I would have liked. I would have liked to have explored that relationship 
a lot more. I know I'm getting ahead, but no, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I really would have liked to seen them together longer because I really liked Grant a lot. I think he was he was good for Travis in a, in a lot of ways. Samezies, and I've actually written down a question for you. So I have written down: Do you think that Travis is attracted to drama? Because, and I've said in my next thing, spoiler alert, it doesn't work out with straightforward Grant. So I've skipped ahead as well. (laughs) And his next relationship is with Emmett, who is closeted and is the son of 19's nemesis. And then he goes out with Eli, who was working for him and who was dating Andy at the same time. So do we think it's because Travis who on the surface isn't a dramatic guy. He's always the voice of reason for everybody. But do you think that it appears that maybe Travis is attracted to drama because he could have this straightforward guy and it doesn't work out and then he has two messy relationships subsequently? Do you know what? What? (laughs) I think that it works out with people that it will never work out with long term. I think that because another spoiler alert, he never got over Michael, which we see that big fight scene between Vic and, and Travis. Yep. Um, when we find that out. Um, and I think he's not ready to settle down yet. And I think that with Grant, it could have worked out, even though Grant's against marriage, which we find out. Um, I think it could have worked out as a long term relationship. And so I think because. Travis is not ready for that. He sabotages the relationship and is with people that he knows it won't work out with. Self-sabotage. Good thinking. Yep. Yep, I do. I really do. Because we knew it wasn't going to work out with Emmett, even though I I think it could have if they would have, I don't know. I don't know about Emmett. I don't know that they really were right for each other. And and with Eli, we don't know yet because they're, they're still together. Well, are they together? I don't know. Yeah, they were at the. They turned up at the firefighters' ball together, didn't they? And had little kissy photos. And oh my god, season six, season six finale was the best finale ever. I've watched that more times than I care to admit. It was a good one. I don't want to be judged. No one's judging you. Look, (laughs) if people are listening to us chat about Station Nineteen, they're not judging you. This is not an audience (laughs) that's going to judge you for watching. The finale multiple times. So the reasons I've watched it so many times are for the Maya and Karina scenes, seeing Andy kick butt as captain and seeing my TV wife, Chief Ross, get in danger. I just like (laughs) those three things. That episode was so freaking good. It was a good one. (laughs) It was a good one. Sorry. No. It was so good. It was good. It was great. I got to watch it again. (laughs) Don't put it on now. Yeah. Let us get through this first. Oh, sorry. I won't. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, don't bin me off just yet. Um, is there anything else for Travis? Oh, well, I guess we see the Travic relationship developing now because they go to yoga together. We, yeah, we do. They go to the medical call together. Then they go to the fire drill that Maya set up that we'll talk about in a minute together they're leaving together when grant arrives for breakfast and then vic doesn't leave without travis she hangs around cleaning in inverted commas 
So I guess we're seeing the start of, of Travic now. We are, which I, I love the Travic relationship. So I'm, I'm happy that we're finally starting yeah. to see it. Anything else for Travis? No, I think we, we actually talked quite a bit about something that was a small part of the episode. It seemed like a really small part, didn't it? Yeah. 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 It's funny how we can do that. But I think it just goes to show as well that sometimes it's these little things that appear incidental in the episode that aren't incidental in the long term at all. They're just a really important part of the arc of the characters and the show. So it's something that can seem so incidental at the time turns out to be massive in the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Shall we pick up with Pruitt? Yes. So we actually literally pick up where we left off in the last episode because the last episode we left him at Gray Sloan asking for Miranda Bailey and now we pick up with Bailey coming to see him in his hospital room and she says that she wants to check him over and so he then walks because he's worried that in checking him over she'll find something that means that he has to be admitted and then he goes home and lies to Andy because Andy had come home from the incinerator hadn't she trying to tell him about his day and he wasn't there so he's now come home and says to Andy, oh, I was at poker night, which she seems to just accept, which why wouldn't she? And she tells him about ignoring the May Day at the incinerator and being ranked dead last. And that's sort of that. Then Bailey, which is the bit that you've got stuff to say about. So Bailey comes to work with Ben and she's sort of looking around, isn't she? Seeing if she can see Pruitt. And tries to sort of dance around Hipper quite badly <laughs> and tells Ben to look out for Pruitt because on this particular day, Ben isn't the firefighter that she's worried about. So when Pruitt does tip up, he's visibly unwell, which Ben notices because he's been asked to notice by his wife. But Dean just notices of his own volition because I think Dean's a bit of a softy. And it's quite an empathetic chap. Um, and he, Dean, then this is, he finds Ben and asks in a not so subtle way what nausea might mean for somebody. And Ben knows immediately that Dean is referencing Pruitt. So Dean and Ben pull him into an office and try to talk to him about being ill. But he just dismisses them and tries to leave, but almost passes out in doing so, just as Andy walks in. So they all then take him to the hospital. So Bailey then tells Pruitt that his cancer is progressing and it's time to try a more aggressive treatment, but that the side effects are going to be gnarly. And Bailey sort of accidentally lets it slip because she obviously didn't know that she needed to keep it a secret, that Pruitt has been keeping his condition from Andy and Pruitt's defensive and says that he's been dealing with things in his own way. And Andy then sort of bites back and snaps at him. Bailey tells there's no yelling uh, and that they're going to be there all day if she wants a break. So Pruitt thanks Bailey for getting rid of Andy, but Bailey says that Andy's loud, but right. And tells him to talk to his damn daughter. God, I love Miranda Bailey. Um, (laughs) 
outside Warren tries to help Andy and explains the treatment to her, but Andy accuses him of handling her and says she doesn't need to be treated like one of his patients. And he then later finds her and says that he wasn't trying to treat her like any other patient's family. He was trying to treat her like his family. But Pruitt's got a long road ahead of him. So whilst he'd prefer that she didn't yell at Bailey, she can yell at him for now so that she can yell at her dad later and just be there for him now. And um, Andy tells Warren that he's the most annoying rookie she's ever had, but that she'll go and talk to her dad anyway. Ben tells her about the big call at the strip mall, but she sends him and says that she's going to stay with her dad because they are having the conversation that they have needed to have, in which she tells Pruitt that as much as he wants to spare her the pain of his cancer, he was the one that taught her to face things head on and that he's all she has. So as much as he wants to keep things to himself, it's all very much her business And uh, he says that he was always the strongest one and that he needs her to back off. And because I think it is so difficult, isn't it? When you're, can you imagine? Because you're a parent, you know, you're the one that's always been there taking care of your kid. I think having that like role reversal must be the toughest thing. Have to rely on other people to take care of you. It's interesting that you say that because I'm a, I'm a mother, but I'm also a daughter and I'm very, for, for, for our listeners that might not know, I'm very close to my mother. Um, you know, she lives with me and she's, she's been with me every day of my life, even after I got married. And, um, if my mom were to keep something like this from me, I would be livid because First, it would mean that I can't be there for her as a nurse. And secondly, it would mean that I can't take care of her, which is something I try to do. However, if it were me that had it, I don't know if I would tell my boys because I'd want to protect my boys from that. And so I see it from both ways very strongly. Um, And so that it's, that's tough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you can see both sides of it. So It's a really tough one to watch, I think. Yeah. So he's saying, no, I need you to back off. I need to do this my way. And it must be so rough for him having been the one in charge and being the big, strong, tough guy and the person that everyone and mostly his daughter has relied on for all these years. And now to have to maybe admit that he's not as strong as he was and have to rely on his team who he's used to being in charge of and now he's kind of passing out in front of them and and needs needs to be taken care of and having to admit to his daughter that he needs her help it's it's really tough for him so he tells her that he needs her to back off and she tells him unequivocally that she won't be backing off and then we find out that she promised her mother before she died and if people are watching along with us for the first time I won't say any more yeah but her mother Andy tells us that her mother, before she died, promised that she would take care of her father. And so that's what she's doing. She's taking care of him the best she can. So she says to him that he cannot shut her out because of this. And before he can argue, he slips out of consciousness and all the machines start to beep furiously. So Bailey works on him, gets him back to some sort of stability and says that he's had an allergic reaction to the cancer treatment and that this could happen literally every time that he has this treatment. 
So Andy wants to explore other treatment options because of the toll it's taking on his body. And Pruitt says that the cancer will take a bigger toll. So he wants to keep going with this aggressive treatment, but tells Bailey that she's now to keep Andy in the loop as well and to make her part of the process. So that was, that was like a nice resolution to that. And then Andy sits by his bed while he sleeps. And then Dean turns up to take over and sends Andy home. And it appears that Ryan has probably been watching Maya might say like a stalker (laughs) for Andy to get home because he's banging on her door within seconds of her walking in, telling her about his night at the strip mall. And then within a few more seconds, they're shirtless on the sofa. Yeah. So that was that. So how do you feel about Dean now? Because I remember us talking about Dean and, and you said that you thought he was kind of an arrogant guy. You weren't a big Dean fan. You know, I'm still not a big Dean fan overall. Um, he was in this episode more likable, um, but I don't want to say any spoilers. Um, <laughs> it's so hard not to. Um, <laughs> but there might be people that are just starting to watch the show. So yeah, um, he's just not my favorite one out of the cast. That's all. And yeah. um even though he has likable moments for me overall as a character, he's not my most favorite character. Yeah. Um, so yes, he was more likable in this episode. He was, he was sweet in this episode. Um, he was caring, you know, he showed up for Andy that, that shows empathy overall though, just not a huge Jeep fan. No, that's fine. No. And I think it will be interesting because when we spoke about it, a few episodes ago, whenever it was, you said that you thought that he was quite arrogant, like maybe a cocky guy. So at the moment, I haven't seen that. And as you say, in this episode, he's super sweet and he seems to think a lot about people and he has kind of noticed the stuff about Pruitt. He hasn't, whereas I'm not saying that Ben wouldn't have noticed, but Ben's been put on alert by Bailey, whereas Dean just appears to just have noticed things on his own and be looking out and then he's sought Warren's advice about whether he thinks that he should go to Andy and then he's gone to the hospital so that Andy can have some rest and nobody's asked him to do it he's just gone out of his way to do it so I think that shows how decent and kind and thoughtful he is but it'll be interesting to see whether they keep Dean like this or whether they harden him up and make him a bit more arrogant later on because I may come around to your way of thinking as it goes on yes i think my opinion of dean is definitely something that grew over time in the later episodes you know he he can be very judgmental and like his way is the right way and and i'm talking about later episodes yeah um that i saw him that way yeah um and so but again they they he does also have kind qualities but just overall just not I was never really touchy-feely with his character that's fair enough and I think that's one of the great things about going back and watching this in detail because obviously we've seen the show front to back but you and I are similar in that we've sort of cherry-picked a bit with the episodes Mm -hmm. we've both seen it out of order as well because neither of us started from the pilot you started from season two I started from season three And so when you watch things out of 
order, you kind of lose an overview and you meet people where they are and haven't seen where they've come from. So I think that's been really interesting for us. We've noticed a massive difference with Jack, haven't we, from... Mm-hmm. for the Jack now of the Jack in the later seasons. And so I think it'll be really interesting. And I don't, oh, I don't mean it in a, in a cold way, or I don't mean it the way it's probably going to come out, but I have, I've never really paid that much attention to Dean either because my focus was more on, let's face it, my own Karina <laughs> um, as, a, as a general rule. So I think there's always going to be certain characters in TV shows that you gravitate more towards, right? But now that I'm watching it with a view to doing this podcast, I'm not watching it in such a casual way. And I am giving everyone equal attention so that I don't just gloss over bits, Mm -hmm. right? And so I'm finding actually that I am paying more attention. Like I didn't have such a dislike for Andy, but now that I'm kind of paying attention to Andy's words and Andy's actions, I'm like, huh, you're a terrible friend. (laughs) And so I am... (laughs) So I am paying more attention to Dean now. So it'll be interesting as we go through the seasons and I pay more attention to Dean, whether my opinion of him changes and whether I do see him as more arrogant and a little bit too big for his boots as we get to those episodes or whether my opinion of him was based on a casual interaction with him rather than sort of a deep looking into him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to ask your opinion on something. Mm-hmm. Um, at the at the Paris Con, um, a lot of the fans, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but Camilla Luddington was at the Paris Con, um, who I guess plays Joe Wilson on Grace. Is that her name? Yep. Um, yep. And a lot of, a huge crowd of the fans a pretty big majority said that they wanted to see joe and jack as a couple together what do you think about that do you know what i saw that because of something that one of them i follow gray damon and camilla luddington on instagram yeah camilla posted a yeah a thing yeah, and they were so funny and they were talking about it and they were getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah. And then Grey Dame was like, okay, bye. Yeah, yeah. And like made a swift exit. Like it was it was yeah. very, very funny. I follow Camilla Luddington because she is funny. She's very, very funny. And the stuff that she puts on Instagram, yeah. like you don't have to watch Grey's to follow Camilla Luddington because she is just funny. The stuff that she posts, and she posts stuff about being a mum where she's drinking red wine yeah. and pretending to be drunk as hell while her kids are like smashing the house up and stuff. Yeah. She's very, very entertaining. And that thing with Grey Damon was very entertaining. I don't get it. I don't understand the Jack and Joe thing. I don't know Joe's character enough um, to do that, but I don't know. I just wanted your opinion. I mean, they both had similar upbringings because Joe... I think, I don't know if Joe was, I can't remember if Joe was in the foster care system, but I know that she had a very, very, very troubled childhood. And as a young adult, she like lived in her car for a time. She's very gritty and very kind of self-made in the way that Jack had to be. But I just, I don't see Joe and Jack 
I don't see Joe and Jack. And Joe's had this thing with another one of the doctors who's her best friend. They've been best friends for like 20 years or something. And there's been a will they, won't they thing between she and him for like two years. And they finally got it together in the last episode of this most recent season of Grey's. And he literally is the polar opposite of Jack. So I don't get it. But, you know, maybe it's a straight person thing. I don't, I don't understand straight people, man. I appreciated the history of Joe. I didn't know that. Um, the last thing I heard you say was that you didn't get straight couples. And I laughed at you, just so you know. But you, didn't, <laughs> yeah. you couldn't hear me because my computer went haywire. Maybe it's a straight person thing. <laughs> I don't but I didn't get it. <laughs> I don't know. To be fair, though, and I don't mean this in a, if if this comes out wrong, you will delete it, right? You won't put it on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Um, to be fair, the majority of the Marine, of Marina fans are not straight. True. Like, like, like the majority of Marina fans, I'm at least in my experience, are not straight. So. Oh yeah, and I guess they were there for the Marina thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. the and the crowd of from the con are the ones who. who True. I didn't. Yeah. So it's, I don't know so if it's, it's straight people or not. That's all okay, I'm saying. So it's not straight people that are saying that. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't get the Jack and Joe thing. For sure. But, you know, I'm happy to be in the minority. And Yeah, you never know. We never know what will happen, if they put them together or not. No, and I, I don't get her being with the milk toast that they've put her with on Grey's Anatomy either. But, yeah, I, I don't get the guy that she's with. I don't get why anyone would find that sort of personality attractive. <laughs> but there we go. Well, and, and if, I'm, if I remember correctly, the episodes of Grey's that I have seen, at one point, wasn't she in an abusive relationship as well? Like, wasn't her husband abusive at one point or something on the show? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they brought him back in at some point. Yeah, she was supposed to be married to, uh, yeah, an abuser. And then and then she was married to a guy called Alex Karev, who was, he's one, he was one of the original cast of Grey's. She was married to him for a really long time. And a I can't remember at what point the abusive husband came back and if she was with Alex at that time. But yes, so she has been in an abusive relationship before, yeah. So I do think that that Jack yeah. would like I don't see him being that way. I think he would be a good a good partner to her because he is kind and caring and considerate, but I don't know if their qualities go together. Yeah, no, they I think they'd make really good friends because they have had similar but I don't see because Joe's very kind of ballsy and very straightforward and she's very like high energy and Jack is well like I said last week like has to be reminded to brush his hair and his teeth in the morning you know and he's I can't see Joe finding those qualities attractive in Jack okay because I think she'd find that annoying i can't see her wanting to mother someone or nurse someone back to i don't think they're equals all i'm gonna say is i think it would be a slog for her to have to try and take care of him one of the few episodes of Grey's i saw she slept with levi when he was a intern oh did she yeah his glasses fell on her face while they were doing the deed (laughs) (laughs) either i haven't seen that or i don't remember it (laughs) But I think yeah, I would remember they, that. That's funny. 
Yeah, he like he he got on her bad side because he was in on one of her surgeries and his glasses fell off inside the the patient. Oh, f- fell in. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, fell in. And then later on, he ran into her at the bar at Joe's and offered to buy her a drink. And then all of a sudden, they're back at his mom's house in the basement doing the deed and his glasses fall on her face. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Yeah, so oh, I'm just saying, yeah. she, uh, yeah. you know, she's, she does some shady stuff as far as I've made seen. made some odd choices. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that would work out well with her and Jack is it appears that her daughter, so she's got an adoptive, which is like a similar situation. You know, there's the will they, won't they with Marina adopting the baby that they just did the emergency C-section of in the finale, like if the mother doesn't make it. Yeah. There was a bit of a thing like that in Grey's where Joe was taking care of this pregnant woman who died either in the process of or just after the baby was born. And again, I think it had to be, yeah, because Karina says that, um, this is the weirdest C-section I've ever done because the baby's growing on this woman's liver. Oh. Instead of oh. in the womb. Huh. But anyway, the mother dies and Joe ends up adopting the kid. Uh-huh. So it might be a bit of a recycled thing if Marina end up adopting this kid. But anyway, the kid who Joe has now adopted, it looks like she's going to be either deaf or hard of hearing. Okay. So Jack already knows ASL, so that would work out. Yeah, that would work out. Hi, kitty. My cat's let himself in, and he's yelling at me. Yes. Well, I don't know what you want. Go catch a mouse or something. (laughs) He won't stay quiet for long. So I think, again, we managed to digress. I love it when we do this, though. Did we? So we were talking about Andy and Pruitt, weren't we? Did we cover everything off with them? I mean, I, I think the only thing that's left on my notes is that I've said that I'm glad that Andy and Pruitt had the conversation that they needed to have and they kind of closed the distance between their very polar opposite positions. And I guess Pruitt was the one that had to move most in order for them to come together. I'm glad he did that. But did we cover everything? Yeah, I think so. It was it a... Was, uh a lot that you covered. Um, I loved, I loved the way that Bailey danced around HIPAA, you know, cause I'm a nurse and HIPAA is very, yeah, very, very regarded um, to be very important. And I have to make sure I follow HIPAA every day with every encounter with every person. And, um, and I loved how she not very well danced around it. Um, like that yeah. would have been, in real life that would have been horrendous. Um, but I love I I as a nurse I laughed at it the whole time. I thought it was hilarious. Um, and and I did appreciate the I way mean, she tried. She she did she did, but she knew that he knew darn well what she was talking about. Um, she might as well just said it. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing that she did was she said it in such a way that she could honestly be like, "Well, I didn't say who or where." Um, because she didn't, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I also appreciated the, the Pruitt scene and, and, you know, I teared up when, when, again, when Andy, um, was like, it's cause I promised mom, 
And I don't know why, but that scene made me tear up with, I think it's because I was picturing, yeah. you know, just the dynamic and everything. And um, I loved that yeah. scene. And I, I will say I loved Andy in this episode. Um, you know, I've been kind of all over the place with Andy this season, coming from being a really huge Andy fan to, to being like, gosh, Andy, you're kind of mean and I don't like you anymore to, I really liked Andy in this episode. Um, yeah. And so she, she had some redeeming qualities in this episode. Yeah. I could get on board with that. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who I liked in this episode. If you're happy for us to move on. Yeah. Vic. Yes, I agree. I liked Vic in this episode too. Yeah. So Vic on the way back from the call at, Edith's is forced to make an unexpected stop because Travis is driving. And it turns out that Maya has set up some drills for Vic in order to help her get over her fear of fire. And she's struggling with these drills. And Travis asks Maya if she's sure it's a good idea to go in this hard. And she says that sometimes you have to give people the help they need and not the help they want. Oh, Maya. Yeah. <laughs> if only you could see that <laughs> in a few years' time when your wife asks you to get therapy. <laughs> and uh, Maya says that sometimes people don't know what's best for them. And uh, she's clearly working through some amazing stuff too, which obviously we'll talk about later. But in her all or nothing way, she tells Vic that Vic needs to push past it when Vic says that she needs to go slower. But in the end, Vic panics she drops a hose and she yells at Maya that she's not helping and then Travis's pager goes off and they need to get to the fire at the strip mall and at the incident Travis and this is you were saying earlier when we were talking about the incident that we don't really see anything of anyone and we don't this is the only thing we see of anyone who's not Jack basically but we see Travis tell Vic to stay near the engine and the hydrant Mm. and that she doesn't need to get any closer to the fire than that And then when the fire's burning out, she does dare herself to get a little bit closer. And then Maya goes to check on her Mm -hmm. and she asks Maya to just stand next to her because she thinks that's what she needs for now. So it wasn't a great deal of Vic. There wasn't a ton of Vic in there, but it seems like she's maybe moving forward a little bit. And I think it's really hard for her to rely on people because of her upbringing. Mm -hmm. But this shows how much trust she has in them and how much she really does love these people, even though she has like a funny way of showing Mm -hmm. love. Like it's not necessarily obvious, but the fact that she's kind of able to say to Maya, can you just stand with me? Like, that's all I need. I just need the reassurance of having you near me. That's all the help I need. Yeah, I just thought that was really poignant yeah it was i agree i appreciated the vic the vic scenes like i said earlier um i'm starting to even though i loved vic going into the season one because we've watched it backwards um i didn't like the way they portrayed her in the beginning and they're starting to soften her and get more to have her be the vic that i appreciate and and like and love and i love vic's character yeah um and it just, it's, it's like you said, we, we need to know the backstory of a person, right. And, um, how they got to be who they are. So I love 
I love who Vic is and who she was and just that character altogether. But I didn't like the rough kind of, I, I love her ability to, to, to find the humor in situations. That's one of the things I love about her. Yeah. And in the earlier episodes, they kind of didn't show that as much. And I think that's what I didn't like about, about it. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think as well, it goes back to, I think at some point I said, when you watch any show from the beginning, it's kind of like starting at a new school or a new place of work mm. where you just kind of take people at face value to begin with. And then it's as you get to know them that you get to know more about them. And then you understand like what you thought as being brash or what you thought as being like a bit of a weird quirk. When you get to know who they are and the story behind them, it kind of makes sense to you. And I think that whether it happens organically with them writing the show, that they just write these quite basic characters. And then as the writers develop, the backstory develops and they become more evolved or whether it's they've done it really cleverly in that the character is so mapped out and fully formed in their heads that they just kind of eke it out and feed us a little bit more all the time. Whichever way round it happens, I think it's great that it does happen and that as it goes on, we learn more and we understand who they are. Yeah, that, yeah, you said that really well. Thanks, mate. Yeah. That's because I've had some kip. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. Um so Maya featured quite heavily in Vic's arc. So shall we talk about Maya? Sure. So I thought Maya had a big old episode. Yeah. She starts out with Andy and they're doing a vaccine drive at homeless camp. And on the way, Andy actually asks Maya how she's feeling about something. See, Andy had some redeeming qualities in this episode. Yeah. I said it. So- you did, you did. And she actually shows interest in Maya's feelings and Maya's life. So she asks Maya how she feels about potentially seeing her brother. And Maya, in her usual kind of robotic, I cannot show emotion way, says that she doesn't know whether he'll be pleased to see her or whether he'll look at her in the way that says that he hates her because she's abandoned him like everyone else in her life. And she sarcastically says that it should be fun. And sure enough, Mason's there and Maya tells him that he looks good. And he says that she was never a good liar. Andy introduces herself to him and offers him a hepatitis vaccine, which he declines. And Maya says no needles. So presumably this is because of his drug use. But he tells Maya that he's not using at the moment. So Maya tells Mason that she's brought him some supplies, but he says he's fine and doesn't want handouts. And she says, well, you're not fine. You're living on the streets. And she asks him again. Actually, I don't know if she managed to ask him when she went to the police station to come and live with her because he left, didn't he, before she got the chance to ask him to move in. Yep. So she finally gets the opportunity then to ask him to move in with her, but he says he's happy living on the streets because he's painting again and he's found community basically on the streets and tells her to get off her high horse and leave him alone. And then after the call, she goes back to the homeless community and wakes Mason up by throwing a blanket over him. And he tries to tell her again to leave him alone, but she cuts him off by handing him a flask, telling him to take the soup, and then throws him a tote, saying that the things that she thinks he needs and the things that he thinks he needs are completely different, so she's brought him both. And she's here when he needs more. And she leaves. 
leaving him with the tote and he goes in there and finds that there's painting supplies in the bag. And then she drags Vic out on a run with her and runs past Mason's camp, finds that his tent's gone, but there's a beautiful mural on the wall where he was. And again, it was a really small part of the episode, but actually, for me, I think had the most impact. Yeah, it was very powerful um, scenes um, and showing a different showing kind of the softer side of Maya, right, that we haven't necessarily seen yet and that we don't see often. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated Maya in this scene. And she had so much growth in that episode. So she, she learns from Vic and then implements it immediately. Yeah, yep. So she starts off by pushing her idea of help onto Vic and Mason, you know, following the give people what they need, not what they want model which is basically an I know best model, right? And then when Vic asks her to literally do nothing but stand next to her and be there for her, she does just that. And then she goes and does the same for Mason. So shows that she's heard and understood him, but she's brought him a blanket and food instead of pressuring him to move in. And then she's also bringing him art supplies so that he can express himself without the risk of being arrested again. And then just basically tells him that the next move is his and that she'll just be there. So I just thought it was just massive for Maya. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to say spoilers, but I do want to say that it makes me sad that it is a spoiler, I guess. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it makes me sad that we don't see Mason a lot in the in the seasons. Yeah. Because I would have liked to have seen that brother, especially in season six, right? When he could have maybe helped her because he grew up in the same home. Yeah. Um, he, he could have maybe helped her through the mental break and, and the, the severe mental crisis she was in that we saw. Um, it, it, it would have been nice to maybe see that brother come back and be, be a light for her you know, as she was trying to be a light for him. Yeah. And so it really made me miss Mason. Maybe um, this could be something that they explore in series to come, though, because they've given mm. Maya a mental health crisis and they gave Karina a crisis of her own with her own brother when, I mean, they killed him. Like, that's about <laughs> as big as crises get. And they've given them a crisis in their marriage. So because obviously you need some sort of friction to create drama to make things interesting, right? So maybe now that Maya's worked through the trauma that was inflicted upon her in their childhoods, maybe they can bring Mason back and that can be like the next bit of conflict and the next bit of drama for Maya and Karina is trying to deal with Mason and maybe trying to help him with his addiction and trying to help him work through their childhood trauma maybe yeah no I agree and I think it would be powerful and they could do the writers could be so creative with that storyline that um there's just could be a lot there for the writers for sure yeah and also because he you know he's suffered with addiction and we know that Shondaland likes to deal with prevalent social issues. Mm -hmm. So 
addiction, the homeless crisis, homelessness crisis. You know, there's there's a lot there. And Karina could be massively helpful as well because, you know, she had a brother that had mental health issues and also grew up in not the mm-hmm. not the best and safest home environment, but she's far enough removed from it that it's not her trauma. So it would be, I think it would be a great thing for them to explore. Bring him back. Yeah, bring Mason back. Yeah. Did you have anything else to say about Maya? No, just, I guess just that I'm, when I watched it the first time, I wasn't a huge Maya fan. I didn't really become a huge Maya fan until Karina came in the picture because she softened her up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm appreciating Maya for different reasons now that I'm really paying attention to to the little details that I didn't. I'm not I'm just fan, fangirling over Andy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I'm seeing, you know, different things. And so... Um, yeah, I Maya's more likable this the second time around in the earlier seasons. Yeah, she's got I think she's got a lot more depth than people give her credit for. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. And it's nice to see the little subtleties because I think Danielle was doing a lot of heavy lifting with not a massive amount of material for some of the episodes. And so it's really nice now that we're getting to see the little glimpses of brilliance that she was bringing to the character in these early days that we know that she will go on and smash in years to come. But I think the little subtleties in in Daniel Savory's delivery really adds to the complexity of Maya. It's nice to see that. Yeah. And I agree. You know, I, I have felt that way too, like that she's done, she's done so much with so, such little material. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as we've seen, like you said, in the years later, her acting is phenomenal um, with what she's able to do, you know, with, with the little, what she does with her hands and her, her facial expressions and the way she moves her head. Um, the nonverbal cues that she's able to give that we see a lot more later on. Um, it really, I don't think I gave her the props that she deserved in the earlier seasons with such little material. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I think that for me is pretty much the episode. That's episode seven, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So much better than last week. It was. The incident for me let it down a bit. That was the only thing that fell flat for me was the incident. Yeah, but it, it they made up for it in, in other ways, I think. Yeah, because there was so much personal growth with the characters. There was a yeah. lot of strengthening of relationships and bonds. Um, a lot of the dialogue was really well written, I thought. Like the stuff between Travis and Grant, stuff between Ben and Bailey. We had great stuff between Pruitt and Bailey, Pruitt and Andy, Myron Mason. All of that was great. Yeah, so I suppose if something's got to give, I'd rather the incident be a bit meh than... Yeah. Than the other stuff. Did you see any themes in this one? I think personal growth was probably the theme because we saw growth with with Pruitt and Andy. We saw growth with Vic. We saw growth with Maya. So I think personal growth was what I saw. Yeah. I think similarly, I thought communication and trust. So maybe like growth within relationships or trusting relationships 
So I think, yeah, communication, trust, and like narrowing the chasm, I think, between people coming to an understanding of each other. So mm. Maya came to understand through Vic how to help both Vic and Mason. And then Pruitt and Andy now have a better understanding of each other. And Ben and Miranda, through their communication, mm. now have a better understanding of each other. So so maybe yeah. maybe that. And I think several people showed themselves to be trustworthy as well. Um Pruitt trusts Andy with his medical information now. Ben trusts Miranda with his emotional baggage. Maya showed Mason that she can be trusted, that she understands him, and she's a person that he can rely on. Everyone just, yeah, as you say, grew overall, I think, in this episode. I thought it was a... Mm -hmm. The more I've spoken about it with you, actually, yeah, the bigger this episode has become, I think, in my mind, for moving things forward with them. So yeah. from watching this one, is there anything that you're looking forward to seeing in episode eight or episodes thereafter? What are your like takeaways from this one? That's hard. That's hard to look at it that way because I know I know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, I haven't watched episode eight yet. I haven't done my rewatch yet, so I'm still in the dark. Mm. Um, I would say because I don't remember what happens with Mason, I would say I would like to see what happens with Mason if it's a, just a forgotten storyline or if we actually see more of that because that I don't remember. Yeah. Um, so not for season eight necessarily, but for the seasons to come um, to see the Mason storyline because that, that really stuck with me after this episode. Yeah. I'm going to stick with what I said last week, which is I, I can't remember how Andy convinces the board that she's captain material but I'll add to that that I can't remember how and where Jack falls down because Pruitt says to Andy in this episode that Ripley is a hard man to impress. And mm -hmm. Jack's impressed him twice now because he impressed him at the incinerator and then he, he impressed him at the incident in this episode. So if Jack's coming off as so impressive and he still hasn't yet seen Andy shine, I'm looking forward to seeing how that all comes around. Yeah, I agree because I, I can't see Ripley not giving it to Jack just because Pruitt said he doesn't recommend either of them. I can't see him being like that weighing so heavy to take away how much, how impressed he was. Right. Like that can't be the only reason he doesn't pick Jack. There has to be something else. Because I'm not very familiar at all with the first two seasons I obviously know from Andy becoming captain of 23 or interim captain of 23 that at some point she obviously passes the captain's exam, but Jack's stuck as lieutenant. So I'm assuming that he doesn't and I can't remember how all of that works itself out. So it can only really be that Jack screws up somewhere and Andy excels somewhere. But I can't remember. So, that, so at least something is going to be a nice surprise for me, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And that's something that I've said before on previous recordings is I don't remember when Jack loses his desire to be captain. Like, yeah. he, he wanted to be captain so bad. And then all of a sudden, he's just happy as lieutenant. Like what changes or what happens that he doesn't care about that anymore? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's nice that some of it's still a surprise to us. Yeah. <laughs> um. Who did you think, I mean, we've established that everybody had a 
a real sort of growth spurt in this episode, but who do you think had the best growth? That's tough. I think it's either Vic or Maya. Okay. In my opinion, um, just because they both incorporated change very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I was 50% with you. I said Pruitt and Maya. Oh, okay. Because to go from leave me alone, this is mine to handle, stay out of my business, to saying Mm -hmm. to Bailey, Andy needs to be looped in on all of my medical decisions going forward. Yeah. I thought that was a massive move for him to make. And I think that's taken a huge shift for him to do that. So I thought that Pruitt made quite a monumental leap in this one. And Maya had such a quick turnaround as well, like immediately learned her lesson from Vic, listened, understood the brief and put forward a new brief. Yeah. Okay. What was your favorite scene? God, that's hard. Probably with Andy. um, I don't know why, but I always like hearing... Um, Jane and Lee Ortiz speak Spanish. I think it's cool when they can incorporate that part of her culture um, yeah. into the show. Um, and so I really appreciated the bedside scene because we we kind of knew what she was saying based on what Bailey was saying to Pruitt. Even though there were no subtitles, we kind of like knew what she was going up. And you yeah. know, I was raised by a German mother, so like when my mom switches to German, I know most <laughs> of the time. In trouble. I'm in trouble if she <laughs> yeah. doesn't, or it's something she doesn't want other people to understand. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's when I'm in trouble. <laughs> and so I, I can appreciate that in, in that scene. So I think, you know, that scene made me chuckle and, and I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. Nice. Good choice. Yeah. How about you? I went for, um, Vic and Maya at the strip mall fire when Vic asks Maya to mm. stand with her. And I yeah. thought the acting was, I loved the symbolism of it, but I also really loved the acting from both of them. But I have to say that I thought Danielle's acting was really outstanding because you actually see the realization on Maya's face. You see it hit her mm. like, oh, sometimes all you need to do is stand next to somebody and let them know that you're there for them. You don't have to run into the burning building or protect somebody from something. Sometimes you just have to stand by this. Oh, and you, I think that you kind of see it dawn on her, but in a very subtle, in a very subtle way. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Like all round. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you have a favorite line or a favorite piece of dialogue? I had many, um, but my favorite line, which was also my most gifable moment, because I know you're going to ask me that. I am. Um, was when Bailey was like, "She's loud, but she's right." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I and I so I appreciated that whole dialogue, and I that would be my most gifable moment is Bailey saying that or. Or Vic, um, when Travis was like, so it'll never work, obviously. And when Vic's like, yeah, obviously. Um, those are probably my two gifable moments. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, my bit of dialogue 
I, I think I always go from the sublime to the ridiculous with dialogue. I either go for the really meaty things, you know, like the, uh-huh. like Vix, if I ever let the emotions pass the dam in my throat and all that's like, it either has to be something mm-hmm. really meaty like that or something really dumb. Um, and in this one, I've gone for really dumb. So I, I liked it when Rice said, I'm not undermining his authority by calling him a boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And my most gifable moment was Dean's reaction to Jack and Ryan fighting. Oh, okay. I can imagine sending that in a group chat if a couple of people were yeah. chewing each other out, just like sending that reaction, just like, oh, God. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's it. That's 107. 107. Yeah, that, hopefully this was more interesting to listen to. Well, there was football chat, so obviously it would be more interesting to listen to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This one was definitely more fun to record. Yeah, definitely. And much more fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like swimming through treacle, this one. I felt like last week's was a proper swim through treacle. It was brutal. Yeah. And 108, you're, I think you're more up to date than me. Have you watched 108 more recently than I have? A couple of weeks ago, I watched it, so I'll have to watch it again. Okay, a couple of years ago, I watched it, so I'm definitely going to have to watch oh, it again. Okay. But it's uh, it's called Every Second Counts, and it says Ripley interviews each member of the Station 19 crew. Oh, I'm going to get some resolution to determine whether Andy or Jack should be given the role of captain. Meanwhile, a mum's day out, or sorry, a mom's day out on a party bus takes a turn for the worst, and Captain Pruitt continues his treatment. Oh, so you know what? I have not watched this one recently. I started it, but I stopped it maybe 10 minutes in. So I will need to watch this one. Because mm-hmm. so, I, I stopped it like when the lady got on the party bus. Okay. So surprises for us both to come in this episode then. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'll get them on check quick then. All right. All right.